to follow along. I'll be reading from the NIV version. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early in the morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. And Pilate said, take him then yourselves and judge him by your own law. But, but we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what, kind, what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and the chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. And with this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. And now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In one of his sermons, there's a preacher named Tom Long who tells a story about Mother Teresa. And I'm not really sure where he got this story. I can't verify that it actually happened. But apparently, Mother Teresa was once upon a time in New York City trying to raise money for her work in Calcutta. She lived her whole life there in in that large city in in India, uh, serving among the poor, taking care of leopards, uh, living with them for most of her life. So this morning, that morning, she went to Wall Street and she met with these two powerful Wall Street executives. Uh, They decided, uh, they had already decided beforehand what they were going to do, how much they were going to give her, which is nothing at all. And so so, so they received her way up high in their office tower in this paneled boardroom and they, they sat at the far end of this long mahogany table And she sat at the other end, this tiny little woman shuffling in, wearing a a white sari with that blue uh, border on it. And the two executives sat there and they said to her, we appreciate your work, but at this time we cannot commit any funds. Mother Teresa nodded quietly and said, let us pray. And so she proceeded to pray that God would open their hearts and she ended with a quiet, amen. And then the other executive said, look, I'm sorry, but at this time we are unable to make any commitments. And Mother Teresa said again, let us pray. 
And she didn't get much farther than that before both of these two guys pulled out their checkbooks and wrote a big fat check for her. Those giants of Wall Street didn't stand a chance before this tiny little woman. And when Jesus comes before Pilate here near the end of his life, it's this David and Goliath moment. It's a moment where the weak and the powerful meet. It's this moment where the small and insignificant person meets this great ruler. And Jesus and Pilate proceed to play a game of questions with each other. A game of questions with a life at stake. And it ends with Pilate's deep, provoking question, what is truth? And that same question that's on Pilate's lips is this question that I've heard in our culture these days flying through the air. What is truth? You hear it on the news or on social media, in the battlefields of Ukraine. What is truth? I've even heard it on the lips of people who call themselves Christians. Strange company to be in, I think, if if people who call themselves Christians are asking questions that sound a lot like Pilate. And if we're honest with ourselves, when we come to this story, when we hear it and might try to imagine where we would be in this story, we're a lot more like Pilate or the Jewish leaders than we are like Jesus or his followers. People are sometimes more concerned with who's right and who's wrong and who's behaving appropriately than with the truth that is right in front of them. And in the same way, uh, Christians who start asking questions that sound a lot like Pilate uh, are denying the, the possibility of there being truth. They start sounding a lot more like him and a lot less like Jesus. Whether it's the truth of Scripture or the, the truth of God revealed in creation, denying truth is denying Jesus himself. And Jesus is truth, as we see here. And, and anyone who's on the side of Jesus is on the side of truth, even when it's uncomfortable, even if it challenges our assumptions, even if it changes our lifestyle or changes our hearts. If you're against the truth, you're against Jesus. And Jesus comes into Pilate by the hands of these Jewish leaders, and after washing his disciples' feet, like we saw last week, uh, he, he taught them and he prayed for them, and then they went out into the garden, and there he was arrested by these temple guards and brought before the leaders. His disciples tried to fight, but Jesus wouldn't allow it. Uh, and then they brought him before the high priest's father, and presumably the high priest himself. And these people were convinced of Jesus' guilt even though they didn't really accuse him of anything in particular, they were so sure that it was good for one man to die than for all the people to suffer. Not that they understood what that meant. They, they thought that getting rid of Jesus is going to calm things down and piece things over and make their jobs easier and keep them in their positions of power. So they take Jesus to the Romans to do their dirty work because only the Romans have power to execute a political revolutionary. Now, the Jewish leaders can make their own judgments regarding their laws. They can enforce the ceremonial purity laws, but they cannot kill Jesus on their own. So off to Pilate they go. And it is, as John tells us, it's early in the morning on that Passover day. And already there are Passover lambs being sacrificed at the temple. Already the the, the smell of blood is in the air and the the sounds of them and the, the image of this lamb coming silent before the slaughter. Jesus doesn't say a word as they bring him to be interrogated. He's handed over to Pilate, and and Pilate just happens to be in Jerusalem. 
Now, that, that's a little surprising because Roman governors didn't really like to live up in Jerusalem in the backwater hill country of this backward province of Judea. They much preferred to live and work down on the coast in this brand new city that Caesar had built, Caesarea Maritima, uh, with the, the beautiful racetrack and courts and amphitheater with palace and this modern aqueduct bringing clean water in from the mountains. There's a harbor and beaches. You can go there today. And Pilate doesn't happen to be in Jerusalem because he feels like some fresh mountain air. He's there because it's Passover. But he's not there because he's there to keep the Passover. He's there because Passover is a freedom festival. Passover is the festival where the Jews remember how God freed them from the Egyptians with a, a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And freedom is dangerous to those who are in power. And who is in power here? Well, it is Pilate the representative of Caesar himself there in Jerusalem. And he's there to keep the peace with his soldiers, to keep this little freedom festival from getting a little too free. It's no surprise then that the the Jewish leaders try to get Pilate to do their dirty work for them. He's already working early in the morning like uh, Roman governors used to do. They'd get up early and then they'd party late into the night. And the space that Pilate lives is considered unclean for Jewish people. They, they can't go in there because it's been contaminated by pork and seafood and all kinds of sinful behavior. And they can't set foot inside a Roman residence, so they have Pilate come out to meet them. And do they have any charges against this man? Well, well no, it would seem they don't. They avoid the question and they answer that he, he must be a criminal or else why would we bring him to you? And that is true if it were simply a religious problem. They could deal with Jesus himself, but this is, they think, a political problem, a revolutionary problem, a rebel against those in power. So Pilate should surely take interest in that, they think. And then there's this dialogue between Pilate and the Jewish leaders where Pilate orders them to take Jesus and judge him by their own laws. And they respond, but but we have no right to execute anyone. In other words, they've decided the verdict before, they, before the trial has even happened. They're just shopping around for a friendly judge who will give them the, the sentence that they want. But they're also indirectly telling Pilate something about Jesus. They're saying that they think Jesus is a rebel. Uh, rebellion against the Roman Empire is the only crime punishable with death. And so the scene shifts again, and we see Pilate go inside to talk with Jesus. If you can bring that image up on screen now, that would be helpful. And Pilate summons Jesus and asks him a key question. Are you the king of the Jews? Now that is the question that the Jewish leaders wanted Pilate to ask, though they didn't actually say it outright. They didn't accuse him of being a king. They didn't even ask him what he had done wrong. And Jesus, in typical fashion, stands there and answers Pilate's question with another question. Is that your own idea, or is that what others have told you about me? See, Jesus' questions all through his ministry have this way of revealing what's going on beneath the service. Is is Pilate really interested in talking to Jesus? Doesn't he already know what Jesus has said and done? Uh, Haven't his secret police kept him informed? Haven't the Jewish leaders told him what's going on? Or does Pilate really wonder if this Jesus could be the Messiah? 
It seems at least a bit possible that it could be the, the latter because Pilate answers with, this, uh, with the prickliness of someone who's been attacked, of someone whose, whose secret truth has been revealed. And he asks, am I a Jew? And notice, by the way, how their conversation is almost entirely questions back and forth. Your own people and your chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? See, Pilate seems to think that Jesus has brought this on himself, that he has done something to deserve that. And to some extent, he is right. It's Jesus' teachings. It's Jesus' actions that have gotten him in trouble, especially his raising of Lazarus from the dead just a few weeks ago. They've provoked the religious leaders. But has Jesus done anything worthy of death? Well, no. Jesus says instead, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. See, Jesus admits that he has a kingdom, but he he flips what that means on its head. It's an upside-down kingdom. His kingdom is not from this world. And that doesn't mean that his kingdom is this heavenly, ethereal kingdom. This is the same Jesus who taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Rather, Jesus is saying that the source of his kingdom, the power of his kingdom, does not come from the world. It is not found in the worldly ways of power and violence. It's not found in fighting and weapons. He has rebuked Simon Peter for trying to do exactly that just the night before. Put away your sword, he says to him. No, Jesus' kingdom comes in the exact opposite way uh, of how the world works. It comes in weakness and suffering and death. But of course, no one there is going to understand that, at least not until after his death and resurrection, not even his dear disciple Peter. But Pilate, Pilate homes in on that one thing that Jesus said. Ha, you are a king then. It's as if he's caught Jesus in a trap. And Jesus replies, you say that I am a king. In other words, you said it, not me. Jesus rarely declares outright who he is and what he is, but he depends on others to recognize him and to witness for him. And Pilate has done just that. One of the few people in the whole Gospel of John who really gets it. Jesus continues, The reason I was born, the reason I came into the world is to testify to the truth. Anyone who listens to the, anyone who is on the side of the truth listens to me. And Pilate, Pilate retorts with that resounding question, what is truth? And it's hard to tell what Pilate means by that question. Is he going all postmodern and denying the possibility of uh, truth? Uh, Is he saying that truth is unknowable? Is he a cynic? Or is he genuinely curious? Is he a seeker? Is he looking for the answer to the truth? Does he even recognize the truth that is right in front of him? We don't know. We don't get to find out because Pilate leaves the room and goes back out to the Jewish leaders. Pilate goes out to them and he declares to them, I find no basis for a charge against him. Is he acting on the side of truth? Well, maybe not because he gives them the choice. Do you want me to execute Barabbas or Jesus? And the one they choose is not the political rebel but the true king. 
See, Jesus is truth, and those who love Jesus must love the truth. Jesus is the truth made flesh. He's the truth embodied, standing or sitting or kneeling right there in front of Pilate. And Jesus is the truth of God present in human form. Jesus is the the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is the truth of the gospel right there in front of them. It's his bodily presence that is the good news. His kingdom may be, not be from this world, but it is for this world. His kingdom comes among humans for their good, for their healing, full of grace and truth. And he reveals in his words and his actions the truth of who God is and what God is doing. That God is redeeming the whole creation which fell into sin through this incarnation of his very own son made flesh and dwelling among us so that his bodily truth might be revealed, that we might be redeemed. The truth is, Jesus is king, but he is not the king anyone expects. He is the suffering servant king. He is weak and rejected. He is the one who dies for the people. He is the one who takes on the sin of the world on himself on his body, and in its brokenness and death, he wins. He defeats death and all his friends. He conquers over sin in the grave. He redeems and and washes and makes clean and keeps a people for his kingdom purpose, for his glory. Because that's what glory is. That's what glory does. That's who glory is. Jesus Christ, the truth. Jesus is truth. Jesus equals truth. And Jesus is our truth. He is the the truth of the gospel in human form. And when the truth is contested, when, when people ask, what is truth? We point to Jesus. As someone uh, said wisely to me, uh, hold up Jesus next to that person or thing that claims to be the truth. Hold Jesus up next to it. Do, Do they look like Jesus? Does it sound like Jesus? Do they act like Jesus? Because if they do, then that is truth. Because Jesus is on the side of the truth. And if, and if it does not, then run away. Because falsehood destroys. I think that's why the Heidelberg Catechism makes a, a big deal about truth. In, in the explanation of the ninth commandment, the commandment that says, Thou shalt not bear false witness, the Heidelberg says this. What is the aim of the ninth commandment? that I never give false testimony against anyone, never twist anyone's words, no, nor, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without hearing. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are the very devices the devil uses, and they would call down on me God's intense wrath. I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. See, the way of truth, the way of Jesus, demands that we speak and act, uh, that, we, that we not speak and act against the truth. We do this because it's who Jesus is. We do it because it's what Jesus did. And we do it because it's part of loving our neighbor, part of that second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, to guard and advance their good name, to give true testimony of other people, not false testimony. We do this because of who Jesus is, the truth made flesh. 
And when Jesus meets Pilate here, when, when they come before each other, it's this David and Goliath moment. The weak and the powerful meeting the big and the small. And at first glance, it looks like the Roman governor is the big man in the room. Except if you know who Jesus is. If you know that Jesus is truth, if you know the truth of what Jesus proclaimed, says one pastor, then you might have some idea who really is the tall one and who is the little guy after all. Jesus is the king of truth. Jesus is the true king. He is God's truth made flesh dwelling among us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus Christ, truth made flesh, we bow before you. We acknowledge that you are the king of truth, that it is your truth that transforms everything. And though some may not see it, though some may mock and deceive, we see you, we point to you, and we say you are the truth and anything else pales in comparison. We want to name and acknowledge your truth, to give witness to who you are, to the truth of your words and actions, to hold up all falsehood before you so that it may pale away in the light of your truth and glory. And we know that your truth is a a dark and hard truth too. It's the way of the cross, of suffering and death. And as we walk that way, as we come closer to the cross, we remember that you are truth and we hold fast to your truth For we are found in you. In your name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we respond to God's word, we sing uh, two songs. One about the truth and beauty of Jesus' name. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. I invite you to rise in body or in spirit to sing.